Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I'm your co-host Ed Pocock, somehow still here nearly a year later, and I'm joined by always as the eloquent man across the ocean, it's Zach Armstrong. How are you doing, Zach? Hello there, I'm good. And the observant among you might have noticed a few changes around the Crucible with the release of Mass Mutation and the escape of Dark Amber. Overseeing these changes, of course, has been a new architect of Archons. And yes, today we are delighted to be joined by Keyforge's new lead developer, Danny Schaefer. Danny, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the pod with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Our long-time listeners will know that we're going to be diving into a main topic, and that is going to be on, of course, the topic of designing for Keyforge. But before we do that dive in, we like to get to know our guest a little bit better. And uh, I've got to say, usually we kick it off with, uh, how did you first get into Keyforge? Um, but I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling that might not be the most appropriate initial intro question for you, Danny. Uh, maybe not, no. Uh, <laughs> I was told to get into it by my boss. Is that, is that it? Oh. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you had a meeting with your supervisor and they said, okay, you're on Keyforge. Um, you like Keyforge, don't you? You love it now. <laughs> Um, but uh, I know, Danny, from uh, from just being an FFG fanboy myself, that you have some uh, that you were on uh, Game of Thrones, the card game, for a while. So, where uh, what was your game design journey like? Did it get a what was it starts before FFG, and then how did you end up at Fantasy Flight Games, where you ended up on Game of Thrones and eventually Keyforge? Yeah. Um, so honestly, the the design part of my journey really did start at FFG. Um, Obviously, I'd been really into board games, card games, all kinds of games uh, before that pretty much my whole life. But uh, my first real foray into game design was uh, through the FFG intern program. Mm. Uh, so I was an intern in the, the board game department working on games like Descent, Imperial Assault, uh, Forbidden Stars, that kind of thing. Uh, and that was about five years ago now. Uh, and that's that's really where I got started in game design. And from there, I got uh, hired on into the LCG department working on, uh, as you said, Game of Thrones originally. 
that's great to hear that your kind of design background started with FFG, uh, a lot of institutional knowledge, you know, in there, I'm assuming. Did you, uh, not that any of these were ever published, but because uh, I know I had some of these, did you ever have any uh, games you made up yourself at a, a younger age that you might have, you know, played temporarily <laughs> in the living room or something? I'm remembering one called, uh, we played with Pokemon cards where you would shuffle the giant pile of Pokemon cards and randomly encounter one. That was my foray into game design personally. Yeah, actually, when I was when I was a little kid, I was really into make. I was really into sports, honestly, and so I would always be making, um, trying to make like basketball board games or baseball board games. Uh, they were, I think, probably totally unplayable, but uh, <laughs> I, I put a lot of effort into them and uh, did you know all the art and graphic design myself, of course. <laughs> That's awesome. Not, nothing yeah. wrong with sports or sports board games. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I guess that's sort of my, my game design origin there. And I went uh, kind of dormant on design for a while until I picked it up again at, at FFG. Of course, sure. And uh, out of those games you said you worked on at FFG, was there one that might have stood out as a, a favorite even in the intern days or, or one that you just enjoyed working on the most, maybe even just in the process of designing for it in particular? Gosh, I mean... I really honestly have enjoyed all the games I've worked on at FFG. Key, Keyforge is probably actually my favorite, but um, before that, I really uh, I was on Game of Thrones for, for a long time, first working with uh, Nate French when I first was hired, and then as the lead developer on that for a few years. And that's really uh, that's a great game to work on, a uh, lot of fun, great community, and uh it's really, it was really fun just to uh, have that sort of rich universe already established and just mm-hmm. draw on these cool narrative moments in the card design. I, I always really enjoyed that. Um, and then I also, I did a little bit of design on the Arkham Horror LCG. Um, okay. Just a, a handful of uh, scenarios uh, in a couple of cycles there. And that was also just a really great experience. It's just really different designing a cooperative game versus a competitive game yeah. and a really narrative driven game too. Um, and as, as a big fan of the Arkham Horror LCG myself, and for all of those reasons, I might add the narrative and the depth of that. I'm interested now, which, which scenarios did, uh, did you have a, ha- have a hand in Danny? So uh, the first one I did, uh, and all of these, I was working with Matt, uh, of course, he's sort of guiding me because he has so much experience there. I did one in the Circle Undone cycle that was the uh, the one that was based on Dreams in the Witch House. So mm. you're exploring the, that house and then... Uh, the secret name. Yeah, the secret name. That's what it ended up being called. Yeah. And you've got Brown Jenkin and uh, Kaziah Mason sort of messing with you the whole time. I love that scenario. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a blast to design. And then I did uh, a handful in the the dreamlands cycle uh that's the one that's sort of you know divided into two right you've got two kind of separate storylines going on and so i worked uh again with matt on the storyline i I don't want to get spoilers i guess but the storyline that starts (laughs) in in arkham in the real world and uh starts with the hospital scenario and sort of goes from from there Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Oh no, this is this is fascinating. This is the the FFG inside deep cut. I appreciate it. And it's great to hear <laughs> how 
how much you all work together as a design team and on on, on each other's games, I suppose. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure that collaboration sort of comes out in in all the all of the designs across the uh, the, the the games that that are made. Hmm. Yeah, it really does. It's um, you know even on KeyForge, obviously it's me and uh, Aaron and Tyler now and Brad previously, but. Uh, we'd often have, you know, Matt or uh, Michael Boggs or whoever would pitch in a few ideas. And often those ideas end up being cards that make it into the final product, which is, is always really cool to see. That's awesome. And also from those different perspectives as well, like the co-op driven perspective, I'm sure there's an interesting angle, even for a competitive card game coming from from that that community there and, and those those sorts of uh, design ideas. So so at what point, Danny, did you initially get involved with with Keyforge and with the design team in Keyforge? And and how has that transition been to your current role, I suppose, as lead developer? I initially was I was actually involved a little bit on uh, Call of the Archons. Um, that was sort of uh, Game of Thrones was starting to wind down a little bit at that point. Not mm. it wasn't finished, but it, we weren't putting out as much product for it. So I had a little more time. And uh, as Keyforge Call of the Archons design ramped up, Nate and Brad, uh, and obviously Richard and Scaff were were the main developers there. But they brought me on to sort of do extra play testing and be involved in the the design meetings and the development meetings as we uh, hmm. as we worked on Call of the Archons. So um, I was involved in that that very first set, uh, not as heavily involved as I would be later on, but uh, involved to some extent. And then it was actually kind of funny because I sort of moved away from KeyForge uh, in Age of Ascension. That was when I was doing more uh, the, the Arkham stuff that I talked about. And so uh, Age of Ascension to this day is the the set that I know the least you know i i know the cards now having worked on it a, a bunch but I, i'm always just forgetting age of ascension cards or can't quite place them <laughs> sure um, yeah um and then it was worlds collide uh part way through play testing so worlds collide was the initial design was uh pretty much all richard and brad as was mm. age of ascension but uh i got brought on as a full member of the keyforge team during play testing for worlds collide and uh, sort of worked under Brad for that set. And he and I collaborated really heavily on Mass Mutation. And I've you know, been a, a full member of the team since then, um, sort of Brad's second in command, I guess you would say, uh, until obviously he, uh, he departed and I sort of stepped up to the lead role now. What was, um, this is just uh, something that in intrigued me as a fan of the game, you know, that's been out for, oh, closing in on two years now. And I know yeah. uh, we've heard, we've heard from Brad that like the, the initial, you know, the sales of the game over the first handful of months were much higher than anybody anticipated. Is that right? Yeah, that's my understanding is that it yeah. sort of blew away all of our expectations yeah. uh, on that initial release. Yeah, and at the at the risk of just sounding like a, a hopeless nerd, what was it? What was it like? <laughs> what was it like uh, uh, playtesting under a very secret game? You know, with Richard Garfield and Brad before like Call of the Archons was even announced and, and out there because it was obviously a very different game at that point. Even yeah, it was um, honestly it was one of the most exciting games we've ever developed. Even you know before mm. it came out, it was um, obviously Richard is a huge figure and I, you know, I love, uh, I love a lot of his games. So it was, 
uh, super excited to work with him. I was kind of starstruck the first time I had a meeting with Richard Garfield. <laughs> right. Mm. Uh, and it was, there was just, yeah, so much excitement around it uh, during development. Like, cause it was, as you say, it was just so different from anything that, that existed. And there was this kind of feeling that like, this could be, this could be huge. This could be like the next big thing, or this could totally fail spectacularly. And we, <laughs> we really don't know, but we really like it. We think it's amazing. So we, we thought it was going to do great, but we just, yeah, we didn't know. It was, right. uh, it was crazy. And it did. And it did. And that must have been a, an awesome feeling as well. Hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we hit uh, a million decks registered on mm-hmm. uh, the master vault, we're just like, that's, that's just incredible. We never thought, uh, I mean, we hoped we would hit that many, but we never, I think, really thought it would it would do that well. And so quickly, and so quickly as well. Yes. And you're about to hit, about to hit 2 million as well, in spite <clears> of <throat> the, the global pandemic, you know, that whole situation. Yeah. It's an amazing milestone. Definitely. And just uh, kind of the last bit of talking about your, your background here, Danny, for the, um, those games that you were on in, in the past, what are some uh, kind of maybe design styles or lessons that you've learned from other games that you've brought with you to Keyforge being, uh, you know, on your way to being an FFG lifer here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. I almost, I, I, you know, obviously I learned a lot about the fundamentals of designing games, especially on Game of Thrones. But Keyforge is so different that I feel like a lot of the process when you switch over to Keyforge from another game is kind of unlearning stuff that you that you learned on old games just because mm-hmm. the, the lack of deck building really changes the philosophy of design. Um, I think a lot about knowing that you can design a really good untamed card and it's not going to be four copies in every untamed deck until the end of time. You know, mm-hmm. there's right. going to be some more variety there. And also knowing that you can design a really like narrow situational card. You don't want too many of those. You don't want decks to you know just be all narrow situational cards. But you can have some of those cards. And whereas in a deck a game with deck building, people just be like, oh, this is too situational. I'm not going to play it. In Keyforge, it's like, oh, I've got a good deck. This one card is a little weird, but, you know, it's a good deck. And then you find those spots where that card is just amazing. I, sure. you know, I still remember, like, uh, just, like, so many playtest games of Worlds Collide where I would have a Saurian deck with Regrettable Meteor. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, this card is so crummy. It's so bad. And then I would get to a spot in the game and I was like, Regrettable Meteor is the perfect card in this situation. <laughs> right. just, like, those moments don't really happen uh, in other games mm-hmm. as much. Yeah, that's uh, that's the the jungle. That's Keyforge to quote uh, to quote the aforementioned Mr. Richard Garfield. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we we've touched on it a bit there in terms of the the design opportunities that Keyforge presents that maybe other games just simply don't because of the nature of Keyforge's uniqueness. But I'm I'm interested, Danny. Which areas of I suppose currently unexplored design space, being a very new game as Keyforge is excites you most that's a great question um i don't want to give too too much away about (laughs) but i will say uh in general uh the most exciting areas to me are the stuff that really is only possible in keyforge the stuff Mm. that um sort of comes out of the deck generation and the algorithm so um yeah i'm really interested in exploring even more unique 
uh, strange deck composition things. Uh, you know, obviously we have cards that come with companion cards, but I think we can mm-hmm. do even more there where there, there's these very specific, interesting deck types that uh, are generated. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, because we, we started started to see that uh, a bit, right, with, well, the special rarity cards and then the brews. And, yeah. But I, I feel like I feel like mass mutation is the end with the enhancements uh, and then like the, the house mashup creatures and the enhancements are especially I feel like that is what has broken into like the next tier of showing what Keyforge mm. can do. Because, you know, the house mashup creatures, the brews, the special rarities, like that all makes sense. And like, that's that's very cool. But enhancements are where people went, wait, like this card has changed. Like, like, like my effervescent principle is unique among probably all effervescent principles because of these four icons attached to it. Like it's it's just kind of mind blowing because the game would be totally broken if that was a dex construction. thing. So, so. right. Yeah, I I agree. I was going to say that's probably a. The thing I'm most excited about, I think Enhance is one of the coolest things we've ever done, as you say, in terms of just making not just every deck unique, but every card potentially unique. I'm excited to explore things like Enhance uh, even more. I don't know. Uh, you know, Technology starts to become a limiting factor at some point, but we also have a great tech team that I think can can handle some pretty crazy stuff as far as modifying modifying cards as part of deck generation. So I'm really excited to to explore that more. Yeah, that is very exciting. Very excited to hear what what you have in store uh, for the the future there. And and just to dwell on enhancements for a bit, when were they first conceived? Was this something that you you said at the beginning of the game, a call of the Archons, we really want to do this and we need to work out algorithmically how? What did the design journey look like for that? The exact form of Enhance we didn't really hit on until we were designing Mass Mutation. But Mm. the seeds of the idea did exist earlier. Uh, There was, even in Call of the Archons, there was some talk of like, what if there were, you know, some kind of icons that could show up on your card sometime? But we didn't really know exact, we we never really explored it fully because it it didn't seem like it was was possible Mm. at that point. We weren't even sure if we could make, you know, a unique deck game at that point. Right. So we sort of, I guess we talked about it a tiny bit, but really put it on ice for a few sets. And then Mass Mutation came around and Brad had this great idea of like, what if like the mutations were actually changing each card in your deck? We went to uh, Evan Hall, who's our tech guy, who's a genius. And he's like, yeah, I think we can do that. We can, you know, have this graphical element that gets added on after your deck is already built. And we're like, awesome, that's that's cool. That's the coolest thing. Uh, one of the coolest things we've ever done. Yeah, it it came up very early in Mass Mutation. It was sort of the the heart of Mass Mutation's initial design, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I mean, it's it is very, very cool, and I will not forget seeing my my partner's faces on the launch day of Mass Mutation. She opened a deck and she said, "Enhance. What what does this do? How does this work?" And she she was, "How does this work?" And <laughs> yeah, they had that sense of discovery, um, yeah. and seeing seeing that that dawn dawn on her that you know this was how it worked. And I think we played for about four hours that evening. Clearly, wow. clearly, mass mutation went down well. Wow, that's fantastic! During all your your time working on Keyforge so far, uh, and this is something that Brad was asked, and then of course, you know, us us conspiracy theorists theorized about the strength of Brad's favorite house from then on. But uh, is there a Keyforge house you feel a particular affiliation for? <laughs> um, 
probably not quite as strongly as Brad, but sure. <laughs> I would say that... Uh, good answer, good answer. <laughs> Deal 23 damage. <laughs> uh, no, I will say um, of the houses that exist currently in the game, my favorite is Untamed. There's just, I don't know, something fun about them. They're fun to write art briefs for, they're fun to make card names for, they're fun to make effects for. I don't know, something about Untamed just really calls to me. There is a house currently in development, I will say, uh, that you won't hear about for a long time that is my new favorite okay. house, but okay. that's in the far future. I was about to. I was about to uh, uh, indirectly uh, call out your your exception that you put at the very beginning there, and just mention we'd we'd have to have you on in X amount of months <laughs> to, yeah. to ask you the question a second time. <laughs> yeah, it might. Jeez, it might be years and not months. Honestly, it's it's pretty far off. But I'm very excited for future house. Well, we, we will. <laughs> we we will wait with bated breath, and I think we'll we'll have plenty of crazy keyforge to hold us over until we find your favorite house. I think absolutely. Mm. And is there a house that you've maybe worked on more than some of the others? Um, I, how does that work with the design team? Do you split it into houses and someone says, I'm going to take this house for this set and really dive in deep? Or how does that work? Not as much. It's a, you know, our, our design process is very collaborative. It's a lot of us sitting together in a group and sort of um, mm. throwing ideas out there for, um, you know, like we'll, we'll work it on one house at a time sometimes, but it'll be you know, the whole team sort of working together, throwing out ideas. So there's not, um, there's not necessarily that feeling of one person working on one house. Uh, I will say that just, you know, having come on uh, to the team in a bigger role with Worlds Collide, I feel like I was more involved in sort of shaping Saurian and Star Alliance than I was the other houses, but it's not by a, a huge margin by any stretch. I, I feel like I sort of know all the houses and, there's, there's none that I feel like I've worked on way more than the others, I would say. Awesome, awesome. And does that collaborative role see its way right through design and playtesting? You know, how do, is there an area that maybe Tyler or Aaron work on more or, or, or do, you, do you really just take a really collaborative approach right the way through that design process for a new set? That's a great question. Um, it is... Especially the initial design, I would say, is the most collaborative when we're coming up with card mm. ideas and shaping them into what we want the initial set to look like. Then generally, one of us will will lead playtesting for a given set. So Brad was still here when we were doing Mass Mutation, so I was leading playtesting on Mass Mutation. Aaron was leading playtesting on set five, which I guess its name will be announced by the time this podcast airs. So, Indeed. <laughs> on Dark Tidings. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so on. So, you know, now it's uh, Aaron's leading development on one set now, while Tyler's leading development on another. And then we also have sort of different strengths that we that inform what tasks we take on during during the process. Like Aaron has a great mind for, um, you know, analyzing data and, and stats and things. So he'll often um, be looking at these spreadsheets of, you know, different values in the set, you know, what's the average power of creatures, what's the average amount of amber control in each rarity, things like that. So he tackles a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, whereas like Tyler, for instance, has a, he really likes the creative side of things. So he has been doing a lot of naming cards and mm. uh, uh, coming up with ideas for art and flavor text and things uh, for cards in the newer sets. And again, we all sort of do everything, but we do, there are certain areas that we focus on a little more. 
That's awesome. And I'm sure Keyforge is all the stronger for, for using all of your strengths to, together. And of course, Brad's in, in, in Mass Mutations and probably to a certain extent, the set we're, we're yet to see. Yes, for sure. For sure. And I think it's one of the biggest strengths of Keyforge is having uh, just a really solid team who all bring different ideas and different strengths to the table. And we, I think we really complement each other really well, both when it was when it was Brad and now with me and Aaron and Tyler as well. I think we we all work together really well. Certainly. Uh, I think you said Tyler has a particular affinity for flavor text, among other things. Has there been an instance of suggested flavor text that uh, just kind of every, had everybody hyperventilating with laughter or alternatively <laughs> uh, maybe head desking or face palming? <laughs> um, I will say if, yeah, if we made it through a day of flavor text without Brad giving us at least two or three uh, face palm puns, it was a failure. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we were musing on a previous podcast that the the brief for joining the Keyforge development team ha- was was probably number one on it was must have a good sense of humor and, and sarcasm. <laughs> for sure, for sure. That's mm. honestly one of my favorite parts of Keyforge is that uh, more so than any of our other games, you really get to be funny. <laughs> Like Game of Thrones and Arkham and you know all these other games are, are kind of serious and Keyforge is just it gets to be goofy sometimes and it's it's really it's really fun. Yeah, you you don't really in a Song of Ice and Fire. There's not a whole lot of room for a car <laughs> called Mushroom with a View. Uh, <laughs> I was proud of that title. I came up with that title. Nice. Oh. That is- uh, honestly, as just like a whimsical title and flavor text go, that's one of my favorite cards. And it's also pretty great in multiples. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's actually not a bad card at all. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think that was actually the, the story behind that card, I think, is that we so we uh, we like to sometimes write. We call them slush art briefs where it's like we'll commission some art that doesn't have a card to go with it yet. Just we mm. have some backup in case something goes wrong in the future. Mushroom with a view was like one of those. We just were like, let's have a card called Mushroom with a view and get some art that's a mushroom with a view. <laughs> and uh, then Mass Mutation, we were looking at our unused art and we're like, that's a good one. Let's get that into the set. And we sort of designed it uh, top down from the art and, and the name already existing. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and what a what a fun card too. I've got to say, it's one of those cards that's actually made, uh, especially in multiples. It really makes healing like a, a really effective mechanic if you're healing, you know, one or two or three from everybody every turn. Um, yeah. Along with font of the eye, yeah, just a really mm. fun card. Really fun card there. And and whilst we're talking about fun cards to design, Danny, what what is the card that you've had the most fun designing? Of course, one that we've we've seen so far. Yeah, wow, good disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Important. It sounds like you're probably thinking there's so many that you guys know. don't know about. <laughs> and of course, all of the ones that you haven't seen yet are the ones that are freshest in my mind because right. I've, yeah. I've been playing with them the most recently. That only builds my confidence in this game if we're asking you these questions and you get excited about things that are to come. That only builds my confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I had a lot of fun with all of the mutants that are mutant versions of mm. old creatures that we knew, like Rad Penny and, and Bot Booked in from Mass Mutation. Mm-hmm. Those are those are really fun to design. Just think about what does it mean for uh, there be for there to be a mutant version of Sherat or whatever? How would that be different from the original version? Yeah, I, enjoy, I enjoyed those a lot. Gotta say, I absolutely love the 
the theme behind that of in Keyforge, there are these characters, the fuzzy Gruens, the bad pennies, the people, people really love those characters. And the fact that you've kind of taken those characters and subverted them, it really builds on the, the feeling of, you know, we know, we know Keyforge, we know the crucible and it's changing. It's a real evolving mm. place and wild, wacky things happen. It's great. The, uh, the, the hype around rad penny after oh, she yeah. was revealed was huge. Like everybody yeah. just, loved that so yeah definitely a home run with all the mutant versions there certainly and she's got a tail <laughs> yeah it's it's red why not <laughs> oh goodness so moving over to, to mechanics a little bit um certainly with the first four sets anyway I'm, and i'm sure you're sort of thinking thinking a few sets ahead almost here but uh, with the first four sets, we've seen the number of mechanics grown, the number of keywords as well grown over the p- past four sets. Uh, less so in mass mutation with, of course, the introduction of Enhance. But do you think all of these mechanics, are we going to see all of these mechanics remaining evergreen in future sets? Or if not, which mechanics might, I suppose, make space for, for some new f- exciting future ones? That's a great question, um, and something we've we really do think we've uh, it's something we've been thinking a lot about, especially in the last couple sets we've designed, because we want to make sure that even if you're getting into KeyForge in in Mass Mutation or in the future in Set Seven or Set Eight or something, that uh, it still is a fairly accessible game. You're not opening a deck and seeing twenty different keywords that you have to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You haven't seen it yet, but in the future, we definitely are planning to sort of rotate out mechanics, have mechanics not be evergreen forever. So, you know, say set six introduces three new mechanics to Keyforge. We would probably say, here's three older mechanics that we're not going to use this set. They're going to sort of rotate mm. out for a while. Not not permanently necessarily, but just, um, you know, they're not every mechanic is not going to be in every set. Right, it helps. It helps keep that complexity creep down while keeping it fresh for your mm. your kind of kind of longer time players. It sounds like exactly that's the idea that we can keep bringing in new mechanics um, without having the total number in each set just balloon to a huge a wow. huge number. Um, and there are some that we'll probably keep in evergreen. Like I think probably every set is going to have taunt. I did, you know maybe there'll oh, be some future set that something crazy happens, but, you know, things like mm-hmm. taunt and maybe, you know, skirmish that I imagine will just stick around, but. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And as a, as a long, as a long time player of, um, uh, Android Netrunner, may it forever rest in peace. Um, I can appreciate that, that tactic of, well, we can introduce new mechanics, but in a set where we're introducing them, let's look at how many total we're including. I think, I think that's going to do wonders for the health of the game and being able to tell somebody, you know, I don't just have to say, Oh, here's a, go find a call of the archons deck or an age of ascension deck. You can actually pick up this deck from, you know, set seven, because it's actually not going to be overly, it's not going to be overly complicated. You don't need a lot of institutional knowledge to dive in there. Yeah. That's that's uh, absolutely the idea that no matter where you, where you get into the game, you can always buy a new deck and be like, this is an okay place to start. This is a good place to start even. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What is the most wild card idea you've had 
in Keyforge that you just couldn't make work. Um, now, as I'm asking this, I realize that that card will likely be shelved and maybe put on for a future set. So <laughs> again, our apologies. We know you can only talk about what's out, but uh, what's the most wild card idea that just didn't quite get out there or maybe changed into something more tame? Mm. Yeah, that's, um, as, as you say, even uh, the craziest, wildest card ideas uh I'd like to think there might be some way to do it down the line. So right, uh, right. I don't want to spoil <laughs> anything that we might do later. Um, there are like certain spots where we do consistently run into like, oh, you can't do that in Keyforge. Like, obviously, only the active player gets to mm-hmm. make decisions. Yeah. So yes. every so often, we'll design this wacky, like you know, like a bluffing guessing card, and we'll realize, oh, there's there's not really a way to make that work. We had some really out there ideas for the anomalies actually that we were testing for a while i don't know this kind of kind of cheating to go with the anomalies since they're intentionally crazy but um, no that's sure, cool sure. there's no cheating it's keyforge <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't tell all yeah. the play that <laughs> uh yeah so uh, we ended up in a spot in, with the anomalies where they're sort of cool previews of the future but they do all somewhat work within the current framework of the game if you get an anomaly in your deck you can play with it and it'll it'll function uh originally some of them are really out there and uh doing crazy stuff i think the craziest one i can think of right now uh was i think the original lateral shift was literally swap hands with your opponent oh Wow. As it turns out, uh, not only does that not really work with the current rules, it also isn't necessarily the most fun <laughs> next couple of turns. Uh, wow. My, so, so yeah, yeah, I think we won't ever be doing that, but that, uh, that was probably the wildest <laughs> idea I can remember. Not, uh, not coming, coming from a theater background, I can appreciate the design direction of go way too big and then parse it down. You know, I can appreciate Absolutely. that. I can appreciate that. That is very much the philosophy in Keyforge. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of our early design sessions are just throughout the the wildest, like most out there ideas you can think of, and we'll write them down and we'll try them and know that most of them are going to have to change a lot and get toned down, but you never know until, until you at least try it. Yeah. Yeah. That's super, super cool. Well, Danny, I'm looking forward to that supplementary Keyforge set in a few years time that focuses <laughs> on all of these wild ideas that you can never put into a normal Keyforge set. Just yeah, the, sure. Keyforge, the Keyforge unset. <laughs> Keyforge unset. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't mention the other game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So a, a bit like that, I suppose, but there must be cards that when you're designing them, particularly for those early sets, I know you said you were involved a little bit in Call of the Archons that, you know, maybe that a lot of that took place before, of course, Call of the Archons did, but even with Worlds Collide, I'm sure a lot of that took place before Keyforge had really come out as a game. So mm-hmm. um, what card has been the biggest overperformer that you've had a hand hand in or you've seen go through that you and the design team just really weren't expecting to make an impact when playtesting? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, because, I mean, a, a lot of the overperformers, you, you mm. can see, they're the, the real power cards. Um, but they mostly, most of the real 
overperforming cards tend to be cards that we expected them to be strong. And, yeah. you know, we knew they were good, but maybe they had a late change in playtesting and uh, they just ended up a little too good, better than we thought. Um, I always think mm. of, you know, bait and switch, which mm. changed so many times uh, during Call of the Archons. Uh, I think there was, I mean, there were points where it was even stronger than the version that was released. I think at one point it literally just swapped amber totals for your opponent. Oh, wow. Which is... Uh, <laughs> Another one for the Keeple John set, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and so, yeah, obviously, you know, then we nerfed it to a place where it was unplayable, and then we changed it again, and eventually we landed pre-bait and playtesting on the spot where it ended up, and, you know, we thought, oh, this is probably, this is good, but probably not too good, and it ended up being probably a little too good. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Similar, like, I think I think Infernus and Worlds Collide was similar, where mm. we, you know, we wanted, uh, you know, it was an okay card, but we were like, we really want something that's going to be good against these heavy amber racing decks, and also that can purge stuff from the discard pile, so it can maybe break up some some combos as well. Yeah, and we're like, we want to make sure that we have a good version of that effect, and we put it on Infernus, and boy, he's really really good, isn't he? Oh he yeah, is so good. As as someone who opened a mass mutation deck recently with two of him and a ritual of Tognath, I can just say thank you, Danny Schaefer, for Infernus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot of cards like that, and not a lot, a few cards like that always uh, seem to sneak through. Sure, and I do have to say, uh, I, I don't remember honestly if, if if I said this on a, on a forum or on this podcast previously, but even even with uh, bait and switch and library access getting those erratas in the first set, um, I was still floored by how cohesive and generally unbroken, except for what eventually got yeah. the nerfs, of course, that the set was for the first game of its kind. It's not like you all yeah. had, um, you know, especially Brad and Richard, not like you all had an example to follow or a previous game that FFG or anybody else had done. Mm. So it's so completely new that if like bait and switch and library access, you know, along with the pen seat, of course, were kind of the, 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 the biggest offenders, like that's, that's an unmitigated success in my book. Yeah. Thank you. I, uh, I agree. It's very, all, all the factors considered, it's pretty impressive how balanced uh, Call of the Archons in particular ended up. Mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, I just credit, I mean, we we playtested it a lot, and it was not an easy game to playtest, and still isn't the easiest game to playtest, just because of all the all the possibilities and all the combinations that are out there. But um, yeah, we put a lot of time in and found, I think, most of, uh, most of the problems. Library access is another card that, uh, yeah... <laughs> It had a lot of nerfs in its lifetime throughout playtesting. Yeah, you used and, uh, to be able to just get like decks with four library access, and uh, <laughs> oh wow, that was that was the thing for about one playtest, and then <laughs> we realized you probably shouldn't be allowed to do that. Right, I do. I do love that the, uh, the those who've been with Keyforge for most of the sets kind of appreciate the the almost design cheekiness in library card being an artifact rare. Uh, at this point, that's yeah, um, yeah. that feels yeah. like a little nod to that how that playtesting went the first time around. <laughs> still, still a strong card yeah. though, and I must say, oh, yes. my library card reverse time deck, I did go, oh yeah, and then go, oh, <laughs> 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 but it's still awesome. So uh, yeah, I, I, just to reflect what Zach said there, 
honestly, it is amazing how Keyforge really straddles that line between sort of it, it's Keyforge, right? It's got to be swingy, it's got to be wild, but there's there's not much stuff that that is, is is kind of outside of that realm. And similarly, on the other side, if everything was extremely balanced and everything was perfectly in harmony, then would it really be Keyforge? So I think Keyforge really manages to kind of to just to, to stay to stay in in that in that middle where where it really suits it which is which is awesome just out of interest danny to flip this question on its head is there a card that you thought you were really worried about in playtesting that was way too overpowered um that was all on the edge that actually hasn't made hasn't really made an impact or or, or a seen impact when it was released in the wild oh um you know, it's not a card that hasn't. It's a card that has seen impact, but uh, in Call of the Archons, I thought Key Charge was going to be just like broken. Every every mm. single good deck would run Key Charge, and mm. it's a good card, but um, I don't think it's ruined the game as I as I might have feared. Uh, and credit to Richard and Brad and Nate for knowing that that was a card that that could exist. Um, I'm trying to think of more recent sets. Uh, well, more recent but already out there sets. Uh, if there's anything that really sticks out in my head, this is awesome to hear, and uh, it's been amazing as a as a fan of the game to see the evolution of key cheats uh, throughout the sets that we we've had up until you know now with Key Frog. Um, be fascinating to hear the design story behind that one. Oh my gosh, Key Frog! Um, I think the. <laughs> I think that is a card that started with someone, literally someone mispronouncing Keyforge at some point and us realizing Keyfrog, that's a great name for a card. (laughs) (laughs) And it really is. Once you have the the name Keyfrog in your head, it almost designs itself, doesn't it? Like, it's got to be a creature. It's got to be a little tiny creature and it's got to forge a key. It's got, you know, so it's in Untamed. It's It's a key cheat. It's a creature and... You know, you know, we have uh, Choda Hazri already, obviously, as the the sort of play effect key cheat. So we thought destroyed Forge Key is is an interesting way to go, and it really, um, I, I really enjoy that card. Honestly, it's it's fun to try and find ways to to get the best use out of it. It's an awesome yeah. puzzle of a card, and even better when it's got two damage enhanced picks on it. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, you, you know somebody's going to find it with three amber enhancements and two damage at some point. Like, oh, that yeah. is going to happen. Monkeys and type raiders for Keyforge, it's like, it's going to happen. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh. So, um, Danny, we've got one more question for you. And for our listeners, this is happening on, on a Tuesday evening just before the announce of set five in the in-flight report on Wednesday evening and ahead of the podcast release on Thursday evening. So uh, is there anything that you're excited to share with us about the design journey for Keyforge's forthcoming number set five, which I believe you have titled uh, already as Upon Dark Tidings? Yes, so Dark Tidings is set five. And this set, uh, it was, I guess Mass Mutation was the first set I was involved in from start to finish. So this was my second one. And this was the first one, actually, that Aaron was really heavily involved in. So he had a, a really big hand in it. I think he did a great job. Uh, it was Aaron, Brad, and I working on it. Awesome. And uh, it has 
as everyone will have seen by the time this comes out, uh, a new house, uh, unfathomable, which is Ooh. sort of the spooky underwater, uh, somewhere between mermaids and Lovecraftian deep ones, and also just with a crucible twist type house that I think has Fantastic. a really cool aesthetic. Uh, I don't know exactly what art uh, or how much art we're going to show off in the announcement, but this house has some of the coolest art I've seen uh, in the entire game. So I'm well, really excited for that aspect of it. I value can't wait to uh, see that tomorrow. <laughs> wow. As an Arkham Horror fan and a Keyforge fan, I am I am freaking out here. And my, my podcast sort of voice is probably going to completely go, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool set. Uh, it's... Sort of thematically, uh, we're going to the, the ocean, the sea, to see this new house. And we get to see how the other uh, houses in Keyforge uh, interact with the, the ocean as well in some, some cool ways. So that was sort oh, of the, wow. the thematic uh, guiding principle behind the set. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Pond Dark Tidings. I, I know the tide was a mechanic in one of the cards in one of the anomaly cards in Worlds Collide. Will will the tide be making a an appearance potentially? Uh that's some good uh some good detective work there. Yes. The tide, uh as, as you've surmised, is going to uh appear as previewed on on Valocant, of course. Awesome. And so we'll see uh uh, I don't want to go into too much mechanical no, detail. Course. I, I think course, we're going to sort of save some of that. But yes, we'll, we will see the the changing tide throughout the game uh, affecting how cards work and uh, cards sort of ebbing and flowing in power as the tide uh, becomes high or low. Now, I would have loved to be in the room when the evil cackling was happening when somebody said, we're going to put these two houses in the Secrets of the Crucible RPG book to give everybody a big old head fake. <laughs> And then, oh yeah, or, and then just a few months later, they're going to be like, "Oh, it must be one of those two. Nope, swap it right out on us. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. The, those houses. I mean, you you might see them someday. I will. I won't say no to that. But of yeah, course, I thought it'd course. be cool to to go in this direction for set five. Awesome. Um, yeah, and it is a set with a. I don't want to say it's got a dark vibe because it's still the Crucible, it's still Keyforge, it's still right. light and fun and goofy. But there's um there's some cool stuff going on with uh you can get evil twin decks, which are sort of again I, I don't know how much detail I can go into right now in this podcast, but they're uh they're kind of these modified mirror images of other existing decks, and it it's a really cool kind of exciting uh, part of. Uh, a, th- a thing we're doing with deck generation that's kind of kind of new and fun. So Fantastic. I'm really excited for that as well. This sounds Fantastic. amazing. And exploring some of that design space that you were you were just talking about earlier with the conditional rarities that that excites you. So really looking forward to seeing this. Yeah, I'm, I cannot wait for tomorrow slash I guess yesterday <laughs> when it comes out uh, <laughs> to see everyone's reaction to it because I think I think it's very very cool. And I think people are going to love it. Time is just an abstract construct on the Crucible anyway, so (laughs) it's quite fitting. Uh, A a huge thank you, Danny, for for coming on and 
and and really getting us massively hyped about the future of Keyforge and giving us a bit of a kind of peek behind the curtain, um, not the Lovecraftian curtain, but the the Keyforge curtain on on how how that design process works and and the new look design team. Huge thank you. Oh, absolutely, thank you so much for having me on. This was uh, this is really fun. This was awesome. So where can people find you? Or do you want them to? You may not have any place you want them (laughs) to find you. On the socials. You don't have to say yes. Yeah, I... I'm not like Brad. I don't have a a lively Twitter following. I'm in the Keyforge Facebook group. You can uh, see me occasionally there, though I mostly just watch and see what people are uh, enjoying. Mm See what see what cool stuff people have found. Yeah, that's the main that's the main place, honestly. Danny Schaefer in the Keyforge Facebook group. Awesome. And if you want to hear more from us, you can find us on all of the usual places: the Twitter, the Instagram, and of course the Facebook. Huge welcome as well to our newest Patreon, Shap Station. Andrew, thank you very much. And if you are willing and able, dear listener, then we would love for you to join our Patreon family, which can be found, you guessed it, on Patreon with lots of lovely, weird and wonderful perks now and in the future. And if you are enjoying Call of Discovery, then why not leave us a review on your regular podcast app? If you leave us a review, then we are going to make it our business to read out the weird, wonderful and most surprising reviews that we get in the true Discovery nature. We will be back next week with Danny's Deck Discovery episode. But before you go, the most important thing, if you think a friend will enjoy this podcast then please do help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery?